Shalom, and welcome to the Pardes Center for Jewish Educators podcast series, Chanukah, Pesach, and Purim, Walk Into a Bar. Each episode, Rabbi Svi Hirschfeld will be joined by guest educators who will reveal the deeper meaning for each festival or year cycle event. The Talmud says when wine enters, secrets come out. So prepare to be intoxicated as our great educators each bring a text with them that encapsulates the spiritual essence and holy work of that time of year that will change our and our students' lives forever. Welcome to the bar. Okay, hello everybody. Welcome to another exciting edition of, I'm going to try to get this right, Hanukkah. Pesach and Purim walk into a bar. Now, in spite of our cool title, there's no alcoholic drinks being served at this podcast right now. But what we do have are some exciting insights into the upcoming holiday, the nearest one in our calendar, which in fact is Tu Bishvat. Tu Bishvat is an interesting one because some would say it's not even a holiday. It's not found in the Bible. Uh, It's really more of a technical day in terms of how it appears in the Mishnah. And yet... Uh, when we move through Jewish history, the Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, found great significance uh, in this day and how it relates to trees and to nature. Uh, and they created uh, a ceremony of a Tu Bishvat Seder. Uh, and it really has become something. And I would say in the modern period, uh, under the influence of the return to the land of Israel and Zionism, the connection to fruits of the land and agriculture also uh, made Tu Bishvat uh, more important. I still remember uh, as a child, which is many, many years ago, of course, but uh, we used to, there was a big drive to plant trees in Israel. You would pay, you'd donate money to uh, the Jewish National Fund around Tu Bishvat, and we would get these packets of dried fruits uh, from Israel. Uh, even though some of it was Carib and no one liked it, we still treasured it. Uh, and it really became an opportunity, uh, really, both to connect to the land of Israel on the one hand and also uh, to think about nature and its significance in Judaism in the other. So uh, I am joined here by two outstanding colleagues. I have across from me Penny Joel, and she has been at Pardes now for two years, but was a student at Pardes? Three, Three years. years. And I was a student at Pardes 100 years ago. Okay. Yeah. Her primary task, I believe, is uh, running the Experiential Educators Program here at Pardes. I'm the Director of Experiential Education for the Center for Jewish Educators and the Director of the Experiential Educators Program. Wow, you're Director of so many things. And I'm also here with the man literally holding the microphone, <laughs> uh, Rabbi Ruvain Margaret. Uh, who currently, I know, is developing the Tefillah website, which you should all check out, by the way. Uh, Ruvain, what's the www on that one? Tefillah.pardes.org. There you go. So please check that. I've been working very hard on that. I know you're also, as an experienced teacher, you are also mentoring some students in the Pardes Educators Program, and I imagine you're up to other exciting, innovative things uh, in your life and at Pardes as well. What did I leave out? Yeah, well, I'm directing this podcast. That's um, correct. He's the, he's the producer and director of this podcast. So uh, we will not bore you anymore with introductions, but we'll move right into our topic and theme. For those who have listened in the past, each person present picks a text that for them is particularly meaningful about 
the Chag, the holiday, and we talk a little bit about it, what it means to us and what it might mean to us personally and uh, perhaps communally. Uh, and hopefully it will be interesting. And for those educators listening, hopefully it will give you some material to think about that you might want to bring into your classrooms or other settings that you are teaching Jewish holidays. So without any further ado, uh, Penny Joel, what text did you bring us today about Tu um, so Tu uh, is a little amorphous because, like you said, it started off more as a technical date than a Chag. Um, but I'm just going to fast forward to today where we really use it a lot as an environmental holiday and a time mm. to focus our responsibility to the environment. Um, so I brought in um, Midrash Kohelet Rabbah. I just want to shout out to um, Aviva Goldberg for pointing me in this direction. Um, Midrash Kohelet Rabbah um, 713 um, has a a little description about kind of how God introduces nature and humans' responsibility to nature um, when the world was created. Um, so it says, So God creates the first human and um, led them around the Garden of Eden and says to them, he says, look at my work. See how beautiful they are. How excellent. I made them for you. For your sake, I created them all. He says, God says, see to it that you don't spoil or destroy my world. For if you do, there will be no one to repair it after you. Um, and I found this a very powerful text because sometimes I think we think, okay, so we are taking care of the world. We might not be doing a great job, but, you know, God's in charge. God will make sure that nothing really terrible happens. And um, Kohelet Rabbah seems to be saying, no, God actually put this in our hands. And here we are. We're actually responsible. And if we destroy it, that's the end. It's destroyed. And we need to really take seriously how... Um, how we look at that. And I think in, particularly in this day and age where of late there have been lots of headlines and things about how not great we are at taking care of the environment. Um, it really speaks to the importance of that and connects with this idea that, that Trubishvat has morphed into this um, time to focus on environmentalism and our responsibility as Jews to the rest of the world and the environment, um, how seriously we really need to take that. You know, I'm curious, and I'm, I'd like to open this question up to both of you. And maybe this is just an impression. It seems to me, though, that sort of the more right-wing you become in the Jewish world, the less the environment interests you or concerns you. And as you just uh, showed uh, uh, quite well, there are sources in our tradition that would seem to lend us a direction of this value. I'm just wondering why you guys think that this has not been embraced uh, in the religious world in the way perhaps, or I shouldn't say religious world, but I'll say the word orthodox world, uh, in the way that it has been embraced, I think appropriately, uh, in, in more liberal streams of Judaism. That's a great question. Well, thank uh, you. <laughs> you know, I was thinking this just, just myself the other day that uh, when I decided to use um, to use plastic in my house, disposable plastic, mm-hmm. and there was a real tension because I'm like, just with the kids and I'm busy and this and that and it's like it's a real I just find it's a, like I just myself struggle with this and you know the half an hour taken to washing up versus using some paper plates or or something um, so yeah that's something I that's something I struggle with I don't know the reason 
um, what? <laughs> the, the, the Godot. I think, I think um, in the Orthodox world, the struggle is also how many things are you juggling that are important and might be different because all of because of the um, concentration on all aspects of Jewish law, um, I think that also puts this pressure of like all aspects of Jewish law, what are you putting all of your attention towards? Um, I also think because it's seen as a liberal issue, more traditional Orthodox or right-wing Orthodox might not feel as comfortable saying, yeah, I'm on that bandwagon too, for fear of being associated with more liberal causes. Um, I also think we've not done a great job educating people about how this really is a Jewish issue. Um, and that's probably part of the problem. Is it we don't emphasize it enough? or Yeah, like even when you learn Breshit in school, how often when you learn like the Abdal le Shamra, that's like the perfect opportunity. To work it, to guard right. it, to relationship with the land. Yeah, so like when... I don't think a lot of places then focus on that and say, well, what does that mean, the Abdal le Shamra, to guard and to tend... What does that mean for us? What does that mean outside of Gan Eden, right? Outside of the Garden of Eden, what what are we supposed to be doing? And I think we tend to say, yeah, you know, you know, humans have to guard and tend and let's keep going with the story, as opposed to focusing on like we really that's really a thing. Well I actually found the opposite. I was taught La Ovdala Shomra the Midrash that it means La Ovdala Shomra meant doing mitzvot and learning Torah. That Adam Harishon was in the Beit Midrash there, uh, doing mitzvot and learning Torah, not God forbid farming. Uh, I have because never that's heard that in well, my life. It's a, well, it's a well known Midrash. <laughs> wow. But uh, I think it really is a challenge whenever we want to take sort of universal values and themes and we want to put them within a Jewish framework, I think we do feel this tension of on the one hand wanting it to, to sort of fit into our particular mold. We want the environmental theme maybe to be taught around Tubishvat. Tubishvat sort of our day. But at the same time, uh, I don't think we should hide the fact that we are joining a, hopefully, a worldwide effort because uh, quite literally the world is something that Jews and non-Jews all share alike, uh, and that doesn't take anything away. But I, but I think your point is well taken that for whatever reason, uh, ritual is easier to teach mm-hmm. than more general values in certain communities. And I used to hear the joke that if you want people to, to stop stealing, just bury it in the laws of Kashrut as a minority opinion. <laughs> Some authorities say you should not steal, and uh, no one will steal anymore, uh, which I guess is a little very cynical of me to say. But I think this issue here, I think, I'm thinking that, that Midrash you quoted, like that's something maybe we should really put at the forefront of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm wondering if also that it feels that generally, and then specifically in the Jewish community, but uh, there's a disconnect between the food, like the production of the food and the products that we have, which a large percentage might be made in China or mm-hmm. somewhere, right? Uh, and that's where, where food or stuff comes from, um, but also the, the consequences of it. So unless something's immediate, then it can be hard to connect... A and B. So, not treating the environment respectfully, the consequences might happen either somewhere else or further down the line, maybe in, in a generation time or in two generations' time. Um, and so, I think that intellectual disconnect uh, might contribute. I don't know if it's a, a right wing thing or a left wing, you know, whatever, but just a general human thing uh, or issue is connecting with 
A, where things come from, and B, the consequences of our actions. Do you have a sense educationally how you'd want to teach that? Like that, because I think you're right. We don't when we use a paper plate and throw in the garbage. We don't suddenly feel a landfill, you know, surrounding us in our heads. And I think that same when we drive a car, we don't notice the uh, the pollution necessarily. How would you make it more immediate? Do you think? How would you try to explain that or teach that? For me, I think it's it's a sensitivity. So I don't I don't know if it's a, if it's a knowledge, you know, knowing what happens to where produce comes from or what happens when you throw things in the bin, but a sensitivity to the world around you and how you interact in all levels with the, real, with the world around you. Uh, I also think that you, you could make it more of a, of a class, of a lesson. Um, in Israel, they have a, a museum of the, the garbage industry. You can go take a tour of where they have garbage and they... And they show you recycling things, and they show you things like that. I've never been there, um, but I've heard that's very interesting. But I think that even taking kids to see how how re- to a recycling plant to see what happens there, to um, or even have students decide this month we're going to be super on top of recycling, and have them figure out what that means. What does that mean we're going to be super on top of recycling? Does that mean we're just going to put out blue bins or whatever bins there are and everyone's going to recycle their plastic bottles? Or are we going to really think about, well, what can be recycled? And when we throw out our garbage, maybe we should really be throwing out some garbage, things that can be composted, things that can't be composted, and how careful do we want to be with the things that aren't compostable? Um, So I think you could definitely do things in a classroom or in a school setting that make people more aware and more sensitive. Um, I think also if you have the opportunity to combine with like a science class, um, then it's a great opportunity to pick anything that, um, that how we waste or don't waste impacts the world um, and then combine it, like jointly teach it. Um, it's also another way that you could do that more formally. Okay. Ruvain, what did you bring for us today? So um, I think maybe my text might also speak to some of these issues um, as well. So I'm going to go back to the beginning, uh, literally, uh, and and go to Genesis and Bereshia and and look at the first mention of the word tree. Um, And so this is uh, in Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 11. and, uh, And so it says, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, Seed yielding herbs and fruit trees producing fruit according to its kind in which its seed is found on the earth and it was so. And so the, the Hebrew here, it, when referring to the trees, is that, that God says that it, so he wants uh, you know, there to be vegetation and, and, and herbs and he wants an eights, an eights pre or sepri. God wants a fruit tree producing fruit, right? An eights pre or sepri. So note that the word pre is used twice. Eight pre or pre. And what happens, right? So the earth gave forth vegetation and seed yielding herbs according to its kind and trees producing fruit, right? But the Hebrew varies. So what did the, what did the land produce? An eight pre. God wanted a pre, uh, an eight pre pre. But what the land produced was an eight pre, a tree producing fruit, not a fruit tree producing fruit so the earth didn't really do what it was uh obligated to do by god it's missing that it's missing that word pre and so rashi 
explain. So what does this mean, Aitzpri or Sepri? So Rashi there says that the, t- the taste of the, tr- the, the tree should taste like the fruit. Right? So the tree was like an integrated whole of, 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 of its seed, of the fruit, and the tree itself. So it's all one big kind of fruity tree. So the bark of the apple tree would taste like an apple. Right. Got it. Um, it's like Willy Wonka. Thank you. Right. <laughs> and, uh, but, but right, but, but, so, so that didn't happen. But, so how I, so, you know, I guess now I'm getting a little bit, a little bit midrashy right here, um, is that, the, if, if we consider the bark of a tree, the tree to be like the potential, right? And the fruit to be the, the actually what's, what's produced, right? So God wanted like an integrated whole, like the tree and the fruit were together as one, like as, as, as it. But what happened is that the tree became like the bark, like just, you know, wood, tasteless wood. And the fruit became the bit which, which we use, but that really wasn't the intention, Right, so you have this like potential, and then you have the actuality, um, and I think that's kind of like human beings, in a way. Right, so it says the the in 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 Devarim it says kihada meitzadehu for like uh, uh, that man is like the tree of the field. Right, so that is a relationship between people and the tree, and sometimes I think we're like we're like that tree, right. We're sometimes like we humans like to be industrious. We like to work, and we want to, you know, we, we, you know, if we have children or money or jobs or a house, we're always working for a fruit. Mm-hmm. Like we always want something in the future. But that necess- that wasn't necessarily the ideal, right? That we were meant to be like in like the eight pre oset pre, like like you're meant to live life in the moment as well. You're not meant to just live life as some future fruit which you're expecting at the end and everything's going to be wonderful. Um, but that was like the mistake that the earth did. Um, and I think that's raised to, 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 to Adam Harishon and, and his initial mistake as well by eating from that fruit tree. And then he, the punishment was you now have to work. You have to now, you're now involved in industry and now you're going to have to work to get your bread and I think we're we're still kind of struggling with that, which I think Penny relates back to to what you were saying, mm-hmm. is that we're kind of detached. We're detached from like we see things as processes, right, and 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 um, and, and functionality rather than just kind of being in the moment and experiencing things for now, rather than not experiencing life and holding off until something else happens down the line. Um, and so I think for me, to Bishva is a chance to to think about that relationship of actual versus potential, um, and uh, yeah, did that make any sense? I think so. <laughs> uh, what would it mean though? Let's say, how could we appreciate the moment more? Because I think you're right. There's a, we have a definite sense of how we would like things to be. I want the taste of an apple, not the taste of a bark, right? So how could I appreciate the bark as bark right now in the moment? And I guess taking that metaphor, like what do you think we can do or should do that would deepen that sense of appreciation for things as they are right now without always looking towards what we want them to become? Um, yeah, I think I think that's the key. I think part of it is all, is perspective, right? So if you know that you want to, <clears throat> you want to appreciate the moment, even if the moment's not ideal, it changes, shifts your perspective to look at what is right now 
and recognize the good of right now. So even if bark doesn't taste like the apple, but I can, but it protects the tree. So I appreciate the fact that the bark is protecting the tree so that I can have an apple. Um, or, um, or if you're in a scenario that's not ideal, so you look and you say, okay, this is not ideal, but this is my moment right now. What about this moment can I appreciate? What is good about this moment? And how is this moment impacting me in a way that I can grow from it? And we're back at grow like a tree. <laughs> good worse, good nice, use of metaphor. Nice that, job. Um, uh, but, but I think even just that shift of perspective changes then how you see your reality, right? Like, I grew up in a home that was constantly um, focusing on savoring. Savor the moment, savor the moment, savor the moment, savor the moment, because you never know. Um, and that perspective, though might make us a little crazy, also gives us the opportunity to say, okay, so like right now, what is it I'm thankful for? What am I appreciating about right now? And and maybe down the line right now will be totally different, and the things that I am working towards, the potential will come to fruition, but for right now, what is it that I that I'm savoring? What is it that I'm recognizing? Well, what's kind of funny is you you know the two of you. There's a certain tension in the message, right? Because mm-hmm. one of the ways environmentalism, as you said, is meant to impact us is look what's coming, exactly. look what you're doing right now, and where it's all heading. And I'd say even more than that, a sense of no, the world's in bad shape right now. We don't feel it because we're still able to eat and drink and live and take antibiotics. So right. we don't have that sense of things being bad. But the reality is things really are, uh, at least in the environmental sense, apparently not in very good shape. And that's interesting. Like part of caring about that is this sense of what's coming and future and, and how things really were in like a crisis. And yet, Ruthen, your piece is almost in tension with that saying, you know, you can't always look at where things are headed, the tov ulara for bad or for good, but you can find, as Penny said, what to appreciate uh, in what we have right now at the moment. Right. And I'd, I'd maybe go one step further. I'd say the problem isn't with the environment. Mm-mm. The problem is with us. Right. So it, it, we can't say that, the, that even if the environment is, is, is heading down, you know, isn't, isn't going the right way, but we, it's weird. It, it's humans. Right, or even us as Jews, that we're not doing what we should be doing. So yeah, there's external impact, but really the problem is internal. Um, I've been blaming the animals for pollution. Maybe that's a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Okay, my text. It's interesting how we chose different things. They all interconnect in a really interesting way. So I chose a story of Choni Ma'agel, Choni the circle drawer, I don't know if I pronounce it correctly. As a Chicagoan, I pronounce it drar. Uh, I realize, by the way, since I say herb instead of herb, I don't sound as intelligent as Ruvain, who says everything in a British <laughs> accent. Yes, you know, Ruvain's not even from London. He just I, invented yeah. the accent. I think it's really <laughs> impressive. Uh, so in this story, we learn about him that he's like this miracle worker. And when there's this terrible drought, he can sort of force God's hand into uh, producing rain. But I'm not going to leave the circle that I draw on the ground until I get rain. Anyways, the story's complex and it goes back and forth. But at the end of the story, after the Jewish people have gotten rain, then there's a flood and they all escape to the Temple Mount and they all go out to pick mushrooms at the end. I like that ending. Uh, Rabbi Yochanan attributes in the Gemara uh, something to Choni. He says his whole life he, he suffered over the verse of Shira Malot Bashuva Shem et Shiva Sionim right? That the song of ascent, when uh, when God returned or God caused the return to Sion, we were like dreamers. 
And so he said, how is it possible people could sleep for 70 years or be in a dream for 70 years? Which I interpret to mean, he didn't understand, how could the Jewish people manage to live with exile for 70 years and hold on to a dream of redemption that, you know, how do you live in the future in a way? as opposed to living precisely uh, in the moment when the moment is so difficult. And then the story goes on that one day he's walking along the road and he sees a man uh, planting uh, carob trees. And he says to him, you know, how long will it take for, you know, for these things to produce? And the guy says, well, it could take up to 70 years. And he says, you think you're going to live 70 years? And the man said, I enter this world with these trees here, uh, and I want to leave the world for those who come after me. Uh, the same way my forefathers planted for me, I have to plant for my children. And so the idea that uh, trees move at a different time than we do, right? Trees are slow. I'm always thinking of the, the, the Ents in Lord of the Rings, right? The Ents are these maddeningly slow creatures, and there's this war going on. They're like, well, we have to have another 40-day meeting over, right? and they come after 40 hours, like, well, we decided we're going to have this to drink at our meeting. right? They move at a slower pace. There's not that sense of urgency. And I think the point here is sometimes urgency can get us into trouble because it can lead us to believe that what's happening right now is just awful and terrible. And if we don't have what we're supposed to have, uh, then things are awful. Uh, And trees can teach us that things take time. Uh, And not only that, we're not always going to see the benefits of our labors. Right? It could be that we start to work very hard to take care of the planet, but it might be the great turnaround that we hope for might take decades or to, in order for it to start to notice a change. This idea that I can invest in a future I may not see uh, because I believe that there are – because, A, I'm acknowledging in gratitude that people did that before me, uh, and I have to do that for the people coming after. And the truth is it really is an amazing thing to think how most of the trees that we see when we're in a forest – well, I'm getting pretty old. Maybe it's not true anymore, but at least in most cases, we're planted before we got here, mm-hmm. right? It's like a remarkable thing. And, and that somebody planted that tree, uh, they didn't do it for themselves. If they planted a sapling, they may never have seen the tree in its full beauty, but uh, we get to see it, and we have to take that same responsibility uh, towards uh, the future. And I think in a way it combines a lot of the different themes that we've been talking about in terms of how to take responsibility for the moment we're in and how to still uh, be patient about the future as opposed to needing everything to happen right away, how we can learn to invest uh, in things that take time. Uh, and we need to invest in things that we may not even see the benefit of. We have to trust that there's a continuity there. Uh, and I think that's a, a deep lesson. Steve, can I ask we can you, learn uh, from trees. Sorry for interrupting. Please. Um, can I ask you, did you feel that your work at Pardes is somehow reflective of the text you brought, meaning you're passing on text? I thought you meant that I fell asleep for 70 years. but <laughs> Or your students. Yeah, playing. or they do. Right? Um, that, uh, that you investing in the next generation of educators, even though you're, you're not sure you know, what, what, what's going to happen? Did you feel that? I'm going to pause and yeah. add something. As you were talking, your description to me was exceptionally relevant to anyone in education because that's essentially what all educators are doing, right? We're investing in people. We have no idea necessarily what's going to happen to them or the education we're giving them and how that impacts them. And yet we trust that, like, 
it's worth it. Like there's something to this investment um, because of whatever reasons that people think education is important. Um, so, yeah. So I, I, I'm just adding to uh, Ruvain's question of, yeah, do you feel that way? <laughs> I guess that's the <laughs> do bottom I line. Agree with you? Do you uh, yes, look, I right? think teaching adults is very different. I think I have the the benefit often of seeing more immediate results because I'm dealing with adults who are making life choices in the moment. And and but I think when you're teaching children in particular, that sense of you don't know where this is going to end up, and you're teaching a ten year old, you don't know uh, when they're thirty years old how what they're doing right now may have impacted them. Uh, and I think, uh, but in general, this sense of responsibility that people before me maintained uh, this wisdom, this community, this people. Uh, and yeah, I feel like I got to inherit that. And so part of my job is to, you know, pass it on. Like for the Rambam, that's the, the primary mitzvah of Talmud Torah is to pass it on. We learn Torah so we can keep it for and pass it on to the people coming after us. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that uh, there's a very powerful message in there. At the same time, I think we, it, you know, going back to their point, I think it's important to appreciate the people in front of us as they are, right? right? Uh, not to only, we can't only look at them as future adults or, in my case, future older adults, mm-hmm. but we have to appreciate and enjoy the person that's in front of us right now. Uh, even though they're not fully formed, even though they may not be trees, uh, fruit trees that produce fruit, but maybe just saplings that are hopefully going to produce fruit in the future, but uh, still to appreciate them where they are right now. I kind of feel like the whole, everything we've been talking about parallels education and on some level connects to like the Zohar and its connection to Tu Bishvat, um, right? They, the Kabbalists look at it more as, uh, Tu Bishvat is like a chag to the holiday to look at how um, how we relate to God in the world, kind of the parallels between a tree and how the tree is and how humans um, interact with God. And there's something to all of that kind of connecting into this is how this is what education is, right? A good educator both takes their students for what they are and appreciates them and, and uses them for what they are, helps them or relates them in where they are. Um, so like the moment, like you were saying, and then also that future endeavor and then all of the other parts that come with that, right? Like whatever, whatever other parts come with, you know, guarding and protecting or that, you know, you could ruin something and then you're responsible for ruining it. Um, I feel like all of that connects very easily to education. Okay, yeah. so we come to my famous last question for both of you, and I guess for myself. What are you going to do differently on Tubishvat this year as a result of uh, this discussion? Penny so, just made a gesture of forcing <laughs> Ruben to go first. For those of you who do not have the uh, video link to this uh, podcast. Yeah, so it's interesting. I, I, so I normally, so we we normally do a Pesach Seder, not a Pesach. Two Seder. <laughs> I'm glad you do a Pesach Seder too. That's great. We do uh, we do we do a two Bishvat Seder. So I was actually just actually just before like maybe I should invite the educators at Pardes to join in our two Bishvat Seder to kind of go through some of these issues and um, you know and to, and to have a learning and to have a learning two Bishvat Seder and drink some wine. We do have four cups of wine. There you go. Yeah, and 
which I think also, I mean, now we're wrapping it up, but just to throw something in it, it feels like it's a preparation for the Pesach Seder. Oh, interesting. Um, in the same way that maybe Tuba Av is a preparation for what goes on in Tishrei and the Rosh Hashanah. So I feel it's like there are deeper things going on, mm-hmm. but we can prepare for Pesach through Tu Bishvat. Um, and uh, yeah, so hopefully maybe we'll have a bigger... So, you, so you're, this is a concrete offer for anybody listening <laughs> to come and join you. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, you can get you my, 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 my emails on the website, so feel right. free to That's a me. beautiful idea. <laughs> Penny? I, I'm not going to do that. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm actually going to be traveling on TV Shvat, so it will have to be a more uh, personal thinking kind of thing. Um, I just think... Maybe being more conscious of of what I use and how I use it um, will be something that I kind of think about more on Tubishvat and maybe come up with like a concrete way of actualizing some of that. So that might be uh, my Tubishvat. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Sweezy's on. Yes, yeah. I have to answer. Tubishvat comes, you know, it's the day after my father's yurt site. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's been like a challenging time of year in certain ways. Mm-hmm. But I, I am inspired, and I think I'm going – I tend to shoot too high and then fail. So this time I'm simply going to say I'm going to walk outside and spend five minutes just looking at the view uh, and the trees in the view and not think about anything else. I know that sounds easy, but for me, that's often a big challenge. Uh, so I'm going to try to take five minutes and just appreciate and contemplate without – planning and uh, thinking of what I have to do and the pressures and the stresses, whatever it is, but just focus in on that. That's what I'm going to try to do. So maybe for the Purim recording, we should check back in with you. Yes. Well, we can check back with everybody. Uh, <laughs> even those who are not on, we could still reveal whether they came uh, whether they came through. Uh, okay, this has been really interesting, uh, as usual. Uh, the text, the themes... Uh, look, I, I learned a lot about how I can connect in a deeper way to be shot, and I certainly have a lot of environmental guilt now for my uh, some of my behaviors. So I think that's a win-win on both counts. Anybody have anything to add before we uh, wrap it up? Okay, I appreciate uh, everyone's involvement, and I hope all of you listening uh, find this uh, interesting and helpful and, and a little inspiring. Uh, and let us know. You can be in contact with us and tell us uh, any takeaways that you might have. So until the next holiday, to Bishvat Sameach. For more great content, go to elmad.pardes.org. See you next time.